0: So do me a favor, grab your notebook and a pen and your favorite bevy, and let's get to the show. Once in a while, I have someone on the show and we just totally click and their message and their mission, it just so deeply resonates with what we're doing here at Scaling Up. And to me, I had one of those moments when I talked to Natalie Sisson. To me, she's just that true representation of a bootstrap entrepreneur because she has done it all and she has done it all just by pulling up those bootstraps and making it happen. She's a two-time bestseller. She's a podcast host with over 1.5 million downloads. She ditched corporate and she started a tech company. Then she monetized her blog and she developed a multiple six-figure online education platform with eight different revenue streams. She's a New Zealand native and she's the perfect person to have on to talk about all things having to do with having multiple channels of income flowing into and through your business. So tune in if you don't want to be that one-trick pony with a weak foundation and you're ready to learn how to develop more income streams into your business. So let's get to the show. All right, Natalie, I am so thrilled to welcome you to Scaling Up. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm super thrilled to be coming to you from the future. I know. this, so We have to tell the listeners. This is so... Yeah. Funky to me. And we were just laughing before we started recording because Natalie, you're in New Zealand, and it is Mm -hmm. 9 a.m. tomorrow to me. (laughs) Like so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm 2:30 on Thursday and you're like nine something on Friday. And she was already telling me that Friday looks like a great day. So I look forward to tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. So I loved reading about and learning more about you and your journey from your corporate career to becoming a bestseller, to co-founding a tech company. Is that right?
1: Mm, Yeah. So wild.
0: So many different things you've stepped into and then taking your what was once a small blog, The Suitcase Entrepreneur, and deciding that that was where you were going to monetize and start to scale. And I guess my first question is, how many lives do you have? Because that's a lot of different things. So that's <laughs> fascinating. And I wanna, I, I'm want to. i like eager to break it all down. But tell us more about the journey here, because I think that's such an important piece before we get into you know, the, the fun stuff and the meat and potatoes of teaching and, and mentorship here. I really want to know
1: more about you. Yeah, I'd love to share because it probably does sound a little bit like Nine Lives. I'm probably older than you. I'm like 42 now. But at the time, I was living in London, England, and I'd I'd figured out finally that I'd got this amazing job on paper. I think I was head of propositions development. When I used to say head of propositions, my friends would snicker. Um, but it was awesome. It was like helping turn doctors into entrepreneurs. And I thought, oh, this is so incredible. And it seemed amazing. And the actual job was like so difficult it was a really toxic work environment it was a lot of backstabbing it was very old and traditional there was the daily commute and every single thing that I'd been bought in to do they wouldn't let me do it was amazing and coming from New Zealand when you're in jobs over here you kind of do everything it's amazing they give you lots of breadth and so when you go to the UK where they're very like You can't be a brand specialist and a marketing specialist and an events and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, no, I really can. They're like, no, you have to be one thing or the other. So it frustrated me that I got so held back in this job. And even though it was really, really well paid and looked great on paper, it just was a complete misery to me. And for the first time in my life, I remember this is so not normal for me. I didn't feel like going to work. Like I'd wake up in the morning and I I literally just wanted to stay in bed. And Mm. I was like, well, that's a sign but unlike, I guess a lot of people, I didn't wait around for years. I like gave it two weeks and I was like, that's it. I just didn't want that feeling of being that miserable going to work and not even wanting to go to work. And when I was there, not being able to make a difference. So I'm a pretty decisive person and I don't mind taking risks and definitely back then. And I was like, you know, I've never been to Canada. I'm playing world championship, ultimate Frisbee there with my team, with New Zealand team and like a couple of months time so why don't I just buy a one-way ticket and leave everything behind I'd been oh living gosh. in London for two and a half years and I was like I'm done I'm just gonna go to Canada I knew nobody there I played the world champs it was awesome I think we came six which was pretty neat for a small country and then I was like right uh, I was pretty determined when I got there that I really wanted to do my own thing but I didn't know what my own thing was and the only thing I could think about and I still remember this still a legit business was taking health and wellness into the workplace and going into big companies and saying, hey, do you realize you're losing probably millions per year with sick days and people taking time off when if you help them get a healthier body and mind um, and more positive sort of attitude, you're probably going to have a lot more happy, healthy, productive employees. It's great in retrospect and lots of people are doing it now and it's needed more than ever. But at the time, I was like, maybe I could do that. And luckily, Vancouver is really good for networking and I just went to a ton of networking events and talked to as many people as I could and I met one guy who was lovely And he said, what do you do? And I distinctly remember it because I put it in my book and I said, I'm a homeless, unemployed bum and I'm pretty damn good at marketing. And he's like, perfect. I need (laughs) need those skills because I've got an idea for a tech startup. And he'd actually built and sold a tech company before. And now he had another idea. And I was like, great. Um, So we co-founded Little Fundraiser and it's still going to this day. In fact, I just got their shareholder report the other day and I'm so impressed with the longevity of that company. Like, tech companies in general, it's a tough road if you don't get bought out in the first couple of years and get your, you know, millions of dollars in investment. We just sort of gritted it out for 18 months. And I was the person who was responsible for getting customers on board with zero budget and zero platform and zero history and also some investment. So it was just a really fascinating time and great way to jump into entrepreneurship. Like, you have to learn everything, business plans, getting investors on board. What does the split look like? How do you hire developers and team members? How do you start something from scratch with nothing? So a really brilliant experience. Yeah. And that was where I started my little humble blog, um, which was just called Woman's World at the time because we're women and there were not many women in tech at the time. And there certainly weren't many CEOs in tech. And so I used that humble blog just to kind of vomit out all the stuff that was happening. And share the real struggles and the real excitement and the journey because I was so fascinated going through it and I was like surely this must be interesting to other people because it's fascinating to me and I also used it to interview other awesome women that I admired and had seen in the industry and so I was like cool maybe this is a little way that I can get mentored by interviewing them for my podcast or actually I didn't have it at that point but I just used to interview them on the blog Um, and it worked a treat actually it was a really smart way to go about it so my Lovely co founder at one point said, Natalie, do you realize that I think you love your blog more than our business? And he wasn't saying it in a horrible way at all. He was so good at noticing. And he's like, You're really good at it and you seem to really love it and you've built this little community. Have you ever thought about turning it into a business? And I was like, What? (laughs) So um, I really liked his idea and I basically ran with it. And about three months later, I found myself just with a blog. And I was like, what have I done? Like, I literally just gave up a pretty, even though I was a co-founder in a tech startup, I was receiving a salary. And I was like, I've just walked away from that. And I have, living in an expensive city, Vancouver, and I have no idea how to monetize this. So.
0: Oh my gosh. So you pick up, you move across the globe, knowing yeah. nobody, you start, nobody. You, tell, you tell someone that you're a homeless bum, that's interested in tech, start a company with them, and then decide that, let's monetize this blog that's currently making $0 and leave this text. Mm. So this is like, I'm going to have to assume you're a little bit of an adrenaline junkie because there's got to be a lot of adrenaline pumping, making these decisions. And I also like <laughs> sitting here trying to remind myself you're in an interview. You have to ask questions because I'm sitting here just with my jaw hanging open, wanting to listen to you all day. Cause <laughs> this is just this is fascinating. And I think most people wouldn't like when you think about monetizing things now in the you know online business space there's just like the sky really is the limit there are so many opportunities and we're going to talk about that today of creating multiple mm-hmm. income streams but the one that comes to mind or does not come to mind for me as far as like massive profitability right off the bat is a blog and you see a lot mm-hmm. of people now where they're blogging and they're like oh I'd love to make some money off this but it's not typically the thing that ultimately gets them rich. Like it might be an mm. avenue in. So tell me more about that evolution so that you decide uh, you're going to take woman's world. Does it, when does it evolve into suitcase entrepreneur? Like talk about that. And then what was this process like? Because I just, first of all, love your accent. I want to hear you talk all day. But secondly, <laughs> I actually do want to know this stuff.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. And I'd also love to um, challenge you in a good way on the blogging, because I think I used to think the same thing. Like I didn't know back then how one could monetize, but I've recently been connecting with bloggers again who are making like hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. It blows Mm. my mind. Uh, And I'm not saying everybody can get to that status, but it is one of those things that the power of leverage and as you build it, and as you get more of this great organic traffic, and as you add in some of these revenue streams, we're probably going to talk about, it can become its own. I mean, essentially for me, it became my own business and it really surprised me, but it all came from showing up and putting in the value and writing consistently. Um, For me, the Suitcase Entrepreneur blog became known as that when it was 2000 and late 2009. I was at a blogging conference, blog world, I think it was, back then Mm -hmm. in the US. And it was just before I was about to head to Argentina. So I had actually... Just to put it in context, I'd been pretty broke for that whole time that I had my just blog because I never had an email list, which was a complete oversight. So I Mm encourage everybody to get that straight away and I didn't have any offering. So I was literally just blogging and building a community for six months straight. Then I got an email list and then I also ran three physical social media bootcamp workshops in Vancouver and it blew my mind because I tapped into some government funding and I went from honestly running across the road to bank a little consulting check to cover my rent to making $15,000 in one month mainly because of the government funding so people were coming along to a $1500 two-day workshop and they were only paying 100 and I was getting the rest of that so it was it was like oh, such a relief after so much of feeling like a broke Sad ass, and wondering if I should get a job. Um, mm-hmm. And then I decided straight away, probably again, not my smartest move, is to leave the city that I'd now built up a really good community in and a pretty good credibility, and go. Okay, maybe I can take this blog and this boot camp online and take it on the road. So I was at a blog conference in the US on my way to Argentina to live and work from anywhere and test it out. And um, a guy said, so what do you do? And I, that's when I basically said, oh, you know, I help people build an online business and market themselves. And I do it from my laptop and then I'm going to travel the world doing it. And he's like, oh, so you're like a traveling entrepreneur. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, you're like the suitcase entrepreneur. And I was like, "Ah, oh, that's it. So I go like go. that. It changed everything though, because a little like you, like it gave me the focus finally. I was like, right, suitcase entrepreneur to me means somebody who wants to live and work from anywhere, is mobile, is professional and can pack up their life at any sort of moment. And not just their life, but their business is kind of packaged as well, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. it gave me a lot of focus to be able to go, right, this is my audience, digital nomads, location independence, people wanting to quit their job and travel the world. And it really, really grew from there. So I would say that it was definitely not easy. And I think I had tiny little bits of affiliate income. I never really went the advertising route, never did the Google ads and um, advertising as much. It, I felt like I wanted to sort of maintain control of what I was putting out there. And if I was going to advertise anything, it might as well be my own stuff. It was a really, really long and hard road. I think in the first year I made something like 30 grand, which isn't bad looking back, but it just seemed so pitiful.
0: So, <laughs> so the people listening in that are building a blog... If you weren't going the advertising or too much of the affiliate route, what was your income stream
1: through the blog? It was actually coaching. So the okay. quickest path that I know to revenue when you have nothing is you need a way of being able to be paid instantly. And for me, that was coaching. So I had, I guess, enough credibility by then with all my blogging pretty regularly and some free eBooks that I put out. Um, And I turned one of those ebooks into a paid product. So I had a very small digital product, which people would buy. And then often from there, they'd approach me about coaching. So I was doing one-on-one, which was great because it's a fantastic way to get to know who your community is, what they're struggling with, what their challenges are. It's not a great way to scale because there's only one of you. There's only so much one-to-one you can do. And I pretty quickly put up my prices because the demand got quite high. But then I was feeling as with any service, trading time for money, pretty stretched. And I was like, "Mm, there's got to be a better way. So I kind of continued down the digital product route and created more eBooks back when, you know, eBooks are still a thing, but back then I just created really, really good eBooks with lots of value and sold them and bundled them. And then also had this online bootcamp that I ran through a webinar and then sold and had for sale on my site. So Every single thing I did on my blog around content and getting those blog posts out led to more organic traffic, led to more people opting in, led to more people buying the digital products and also um, wanting to work with me as a coach.
0: Well, that's huge. And I want to stay there for a sec because I think a lot of people think when they think of monetizing a blog specifically or starting with that as kind of their hub, they are thinking advertising or affiliates or seeing what other influencers are doing. And I want to highlight what you said because really, even though maybe the blog was what brought people in, you were building a business like this wasn't just about the blog. This was creating a high ticket offer, which we have our mastermind calls uh, that I run for my Maverick Mastermind on Thursdays, and we were just talking about this because some of the girls were thinking about what to pivot to next. And for anyone that's listening, I figure we may as well flesh this out because I know some people would be interested. When you know you have something that you can teach, you can offer, you can guide people through, you've had experiences, whatever it is, the low-hanging fruit to kind of get your business off the ground and a great place to start, but like you said, not scalable, but a good starting point is one-on-one, is taking on in a service-based way a client in that capacity for a few reasons. One, it creates immediate cash flow. You set your price. You bring in your client, you charge them, there you go. You can decide how many people you're willing to take on based on what pricing you wanna do and all of that and what your capacity is, but you don't wanna live there. And that's where a lot of people get trapped is they say, okay, i built this one-on-one business model, but now I am, like you said, because you're speaking my language, trading dollars for hours, which gets exhausting and you, you cap yourself. But the other massive piece of value in it is you get data, you get information before you go create the online course, you find out what your ideal client even needs and then you create that process that you can then bundle into something that you can sell digitally or however you want to do it in a mastermind or in an event format. I love how thrifty you've been through this process. And I can't even begin, and my listeners are probably like rolling their eyes because I'm going to say it a thousand times, but we're so on the same wavelength with all this stuff. This is like,
1: what I geek out on Yeah, you know, I'd start... also love to add it just in there that I think from time to time it's nice to go back to whether it's consulting or a done-for-you service or a coaching aspect just every so often especially if you're switching or you're pivoting in your business because it's really good to get back into having those conversations with people about where they're at rather than sit in your like little white castle going oh I think this is what they need, which is, I'm just going to be really hand on my heart. I think I got to about five or six years into the business when I felt very established and was doing really well. And I was like, yeah, I know what they need. I think you should never, ever stop surveying and questioning and asking and digging for gold because people change and actually your audience grows with you and their level of advancement and knowledge grows with you as well. So you need to keep on top of, oh, how do I continue to be a couple of steps ahead of them and give them what they need?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I totally agree. And I made that same mistake at one point where I I started to detach and what i found was the gap between me and my people got bigger and bigger because i wasn't really in the trenches with them anymore and things yeah. were evolving in the spaces that i was teaching. so what i try to do now because i value my time so much and freedom is i have a higher price point for my one on one and i only i cap how many people i bring on but that way i always have that data and that evolution of like what are my people needing right now? where are they at? how can i serve them and walking people through that process plus in the very beginning too kind of going back to that those become your testimonials those become your referrals mm-hmm. those become your like your raving fans because you just brought them through to a transformation on the other side versus yeah. you know sometimes when you have an online course the completion rates are sometimes low in those. People are like chronic buyers of courses because they're collecting more information, but they're not actually implementing. So you don't necessarily get the testimonials unless you have people that you're really walking through. And you can have the humility in the process when someone's hitting a wall to say, okay, we're going to try this a little differently. I realized that, you know, I could have served you better here. Let's walk through that. And it's not such a static process where it's already mm-hmm. completed. And if there's something that's not quite right, like it's tough to fix. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out. So I I've seen you in reading about you and learning more about you, uh, talk about this theory that we all have parts of us that are monetizable. Like we all have things that we can bring to market and make a living off of it. I know that that excites some people and it disappoints some people because some people get into this. Yeah, but I'm not really unique enough, or I don't have anything special or what I think I could offer. So-and-so is already doing it really well. So, you know, I don't need to go create it. Can you speak to that and what you would say to those people?
1: Yeah, I really like your perspective, actually, that it excites some and disappoints others. See, that's another great data point for me, right? Because I just get excited by it. I'm like, what, really, I can earn money by being me, being unique. And the wonderful thing, Elizabeth, is, is that every single one of us is unique. And what I think people overlook is, okay, maybe you have some of the same experiences in terms of career professional that others have. Maybe you have some of the same skills. Maybe you're great at Facebook ads. Maybe you're fantastic at singing. Maybe you're great at organizing events. And other people have those skills for sure. But what nobody else has is the unique experience of the skills, the life experience that you've had. I'm talking about exposure to maybe confronting situations or maybe you've traveled the world or maybe you've had a unique upbringing or maybe you volunteered, like all these things that have made. You, the person that you are today, nobody has that unique combination of experience, skill set, and your own personality. And that's the thing that you can monetize, and it is completely unique to you. I call it your unfair advantage because there's Mm -hmm. only one you in this world it's your DNA, and it's how you bring that to the world. So, for sure, there's I mean, there's tons of people doing what you and I are doing. I have something right now called Launch Your Damn Course. There are so many people teaching about how to launch your course. But people will choose me and my accelerator because of who I am. Maybe they resonate with me more. Maybe some people won't like me at all and they'll prefer an Amy Porterfield. I'm fine with that. Like, pick the teacher that you like most and the style that you like most. And there's something that will draw people to you and I that will draw others to somebody else. That's the beauty of this. There's more than enough people to go around. And it's all about whether the people relate to you and resonate with you. And as you said, if you're in the trenches with them, you're even more relatable and like So that's the beauty of being unique, but also yeah. like others. You don't want to be so unique that people right. can't see themselves in you.
0: Yeah, exactly. You don't want to try and create this facade or this personality that's not real for the sake of trying to be different. At the same time, you don't want to just try to blend in either. Your unique selling proposition is you. Like you said, I love that you touch on the life experience piece because I think people forget. I was mentoring someone recently and she mentors women who have experienced loss and she's suffered great personal loss. And I don't think she was quite crediting what she has survived through as her unique selling proposition. She was thinking more from the angle of, like, what do I tactically teach them? What are the resources? Like, no, 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 the fact that you have lived through this is evidence to the people who need you that they can live through it too. And that is such immense value to those people. Like, you can't discredit that piece of your story. So sometimes we get really caught up in, what certification do i have or what degree do i have or how many years have i been doing what i do instead of what have i made it through and what am or even what am i going through now but i'm a couple steps ahead of the people that i could guide and just give my insight and just give my support and my guidance like there's so many things that we can monetize it's crazy i've seen people monetize how to can vegetables and turn it into a seven figure business or knitting <laughs> or what like there's there's no limitation to what you can monetize and it's just, it's amazing. And on that topic, because you're totally my people and I knew that (laughs) you'd be down to talk about all things, multiple income streams. Mm. And I'm pity over that because that's what I try and teach um, my people how to do and not put all their eggs in one income stream basket. So why do you think it's important to have multiple income streams coming in via different channels and maybe speak to how you've done that to give us a
1: little insight? Yeah, I think it's so important. And this is what I used to think back to. If I was to fall over tomorrow, which is a horrible thought, or if I trip over and I suddenly can't work, those multiple income streams give me ongoing peace of mind that I don't have to be the person showing up in my business in order to earn income. And for sure, it takes a while to get there. But for me as you just said, you don't want to rely on just one income stream because if something happens and you're the unique person behind that, you're the only sole provider who can make that happen. You don't have a business that's systemized and somewhat automated. You're screwed. I mean, it sounds like a really horrible thing, but it is. And I've had that before. I've never been so sick that I couldn't work, but there were times when I actually just couldn't turn up for my clients. I think I got really sick when I was traveling once. And it really hit me because at that point, I didn't have many income streams that I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to, you know, am I going to have enough money by the end of this month? This was when I was starting out. And I was like, because I'm not able to show up and earn this income, I'm pretty screwed. And it wasn't a nice feeling at all. And that's when I was like, right. What are other ways that I can make money that serve my clients and are valuable, but don't require 100% of my time and energy? So at one point, I actually built up to nine different revenue streams, one of which was affiliate revenue is actually pretty lucrative for me. I'm a big believer in a lot of tools and technology that I love to use. And because I use them well, and then I show people how to use them, they often will go, hey, Natalie, thanks so much for your recommendation. I bought that or I'm using that software now because it helps them. And over time that's actually really added up. I also went I had my digital products that were kind of just selling on my site. So every time my content went out, there'd be a, an offer there if they wanted to upgrade or buy the book. So digital products did well. I then offered online courses, which I would launch throughout the year and still do have. I had um, sponsorships for my podcast. I was getting paid to speak. I then wrote my best selling book. So the book is kind of like ongoing sales. Yes, it's a lot of work up front. And writing a book is one thing and marketing it is another, but that still sells today. And that's like five, wow, it's amazing. It's like seven years today. I think that my book came out, I have two, so they're just kind of ticking over, which is great. And then coaching, group coaching and membership. So I think at one point it was like nine or 10 revenue streams and not all of them needed my attention at any one time. And some were far more powerful than others, but all of them combined added up to a really, really um, profitable business. And Mm, yeah, so many of them are just kind of in place now, which is amazing.
0: I think uh, people fall into the trap of thinking entrepreneurship eventually equals freedom, but not if you're not strategic (laughs) of how you build your business. And if you are building a business that ultimately supports the life that you're visualizing versus just thinking hustling plus time equals freedom eventually. And that's just not the case. And I think it's part of that strategy is ensuring that some of those income streams can be passive income streams, like where you can be like your book, for example, maybe it's not like your main income driver, but it is bringing in income for your business while you sleep or your courses can sell without you being present and actually coaching people. And then things like masterminds or group coaching really maximizes your time. Yes, you're involved in the process, but it's streamlined instead of like one on one where it's, you know, you're on calls all week, every week, it might be twice a month, but you had a higher price point and you're bringing people in and adding value in other ways. So I love, I love that. And I think it's just such an important thing that people forget sometimes. And I see it a lot and I love your opinion on this. I see it a lot with influencers who rely so heavily on just, just affiliate or just brand deals. And you know, Mm -hmm. the algorithm changes and all of a sudden, you know, businesses are pulling out from under them because they're not getting the results they want, or things are less in their control than they think. Or you'll see it with people who just live in the the one-on-one or service-based business model without any scalability. But what would you recommend to someone who is in that that vulnerable business that isn't exactly scalable right now? What are some initial steps they could take that like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't freak out. All is not lost. You can start to slowly pivot and shift into this new business model that's going to support you.
1: I got really excited when you were talking because I've been through, as you I'm sure have as well, or maybe I've been through some really good roller coaster rides in the world of entrepreneurship. And what I do love about entrepreneurs is our ability to think on our feet and create from scratch when we desperately need to, or even if we just need to. So I always keep a really open mind about what else could I be producing that's in line with my personality that I really love to do. Because I was going to add to what you said before, whatever revenue streams you create have to be in line with you. So passive and residual revenue streams, as I like to call them, are great. But I also get so much energy off people. So that's why I love group coaching. And I like running live courses where I actually turn up every week to coach people for a period of time it's project focused and I get the people interaction and then I can go back more to the residual so just putting that out there for people because for some people that's their best space to be in to answer your question I think for those people who have maybe relied on something solely and a little bit freaked out again come back and ask your audience or your community or however many people you have in your email list, ask them where they're at and what their challenges are because they will tell you what they need. And then you get to go, okay, great, they've said they're struggling with this, this, and this. Which of those things do I know that I can actually teach where I'm skilled at or I could build some skills in and could help them? Which of those things is going to be easy to create a product, a service, an offering around? And which of those things can I do quite quickly <laughs> to make sure that I'm not just relying on this other service, and I can bring that in. And that's where I think entrepreneurs excel, because we, you know, we never sort of hopefully rest on our laurels for too long. We're always building on what we've got, and leveraging that further. And we can also take action pretty quickly to pivot, unlike the corporations and companies that have to take years. So I think that's what I would always do is go back to who are you serving? And what are they telling you that you need? And then what can you create for them based off the back of that?
0: Mm, absolutely. I was just having this conversation with two of my mastermind members and they were struggling with the creation of a product that they're making. And we talked about, have you taken the time to pick out three, four, five, ten 10 of your ideal clients and just say, hey, do you have 10 minutes to hop on the phone? I, I just want to know how I can help you. Like, what are you going through? What do you have going? What do you need? What can I give you that you really need? Because that's that's gold. Like that is literally the answer to your prayers. That's exactly what you need to go back to the drawing board and create. And I think sometimes we try to create in a vacuum or as an island where we're like in our own heads or more dangerously, watching what other people are creating and thinking, oh, they just created that. I gotta catch up and create that too, instead of really listening to what our people are asking for and then leaning into that. And that's where, like we said before, having that the one-on-one touch points, whether it is As you know, in your group coaching or with the low-hanging fruit of bringing on -on one-on-one clients, when you have those people that you can keep a finger on the pulse, it makes it a little bit easier to do because then they're right there with you, saying, "You know, I need a little bit more of this," or "This didn't really work for me," and you can pivot a little bit more easily. So, if you're stuck in this service-based business model, you're actually in a great place to pivot because you have all these people that you're serving one-on-one. Ask them what they need, and then you can create something from that. So, yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that. I'm curious because I just did that episode on what I'm struggling with. Curious, someone else in the similar field as me, what are your big struggles right now? I wasn't mm-hmm. anticipating asking you that, but you know, sometimes it's nice to know that other people are in the trenches and struggling a little bit too, even though they already have success.
1: Yeah, I'd love to talk about it because um, I don't know if you knew this, you probably didn't, but when I came back from traveling overseas in 2017, partly because my dad actually got really sick and passed away, but I then was back in New Zealand. It's all good. He celebrated his life. He lived a great Mm -hmm. life. So it was all good. But he went a little bit earlier than I needed him to and wanted him to. And it really kind of struck me that I wanted to be back in New Zealand close to family and when I came back, I had such a huge identity shift, like 180 degrees. I kind of stopped being a suitcase entrepreneur, which would be almost 10 years of being in that identity because it no longer felt kind of aligned with where I was at. I wasn't traveling the world anymore. It didn't feel fully authentic. And plus, I was pretty tired, if I was honest. Like I felt like I'd been doing it for a long time. And there were people who could come in and do a much better job. So I took a business sabbatical. I moved in with my partner, which was all very new for me. We bought this amazing property. We got a puppy. Like I couldn't have changed more things in my life in the space of a couple of months. And I'm just, why I'm putting it out there is it really hit me and it took me a long time to sort of figure out, holy heck, what do I what do I want to do now? And it's not like I just threw my business out, but I didn't feel fully aligned with it anymore. So I kind of felt like I was starting from scratch. And I honestly think it's taken about two years and this sounds like two years to get back on my feet to really know who I am and who I want to serve, and come out under my own brand and re-establish all the good things. I basically had to go back to my sweet spot, which is what I teach people to do: of what am I good at, what will people pay me for, and what do I enjoy doing. And I had to revisit that and not throw the baby out the bathwater and go, okay, I still love doing these things. These things I'll put to the side. What do I want to learn? Where do I want to upskill? And how do I sort of tap into the future of work and remain relevant? So. I just want to put it out there that that's been like a two-year journey and this shift and reinventing yourself. And now I kind of appreciate where Madonna comes from because it's exhausting. Um, But it's also a really great lesson for understanding and knowing more about yourself. So I'm still going through that process and I'd say I'm in a brilliant space right now, but I've chosen to invest a lot in myself this year in personal growth and upskilling, learning not only more about myself, but how the mind works and the body, et cetera, but also upskilling in areas like diving more into these things that I've known for so long, but maybe have been a bit of a dabbler in. So SEO and Facebook ads, all these things that I'm trying to like revisit where my folks are at. Get in the trenches with them again and understand that and then be able to teach it to them. And so everything's like curious and exciting, but also challenging and mm. has been for a while. And I'm now I've embraced that, I'm really enjoying it. But earlier I was like, this sucks, especially when you've been really successful and you feel like you know all the answers and suddenly you're doubting everything. And people from the outside still see you as as you were saying in your episode they think you've got it all together. And I was like, I don't have anything together. Like it was really new for me to be in that space because realistically I did think I had most things together and suddenly I didn't. So I just wanted to share that as well because I think that in itself has been such a great learning lesson for me to never expect that anything's going to stay the same, which I'm a big fan of change, but maybe somewhere along the way I've been a little bit complacent. And also just how you can actually reinvent yourself and start from scratch, no matter where you've been and where you're at, and that your past doesn't define your future. People say that all the time, but I've really realized now it doesn't. It's like exactly who you are and who you want to be comes down Mm -hmm. to your thoughts and your attitude, nothing else.
0: Yeah, and thank you for sharing that because I know sometimes when people expect us to have it all together, it's hard to show behind the curtain that we don't. And I call kind of that point because I went through it myself and I see so many people go through it that divergent moment where you realize that in order to get to like you've gotten to really high heights and you hit these amazing successes, but then you kind of hit this fork in the road where you're at a block, where you know there's another level for you, but you've never been there before. And in order to get to it, you have to stop asking, what do I need to do? And you have to ask, who do I need to become? And all of a sudden, all this energy shifts to this place of like, wow, I don't have it all figured out. I haven't just made it. There is no just making it. I have so much more work to do. And you're in this vulnerable space. Like you said, for two years, mine was about two years too. I went through it. Hmm. It sounds like in a similar timeline. And okay. Was good getting, to know, very, I think. Yeah, it was very <laughs> painful. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, um, in baseball, they call it the yips, like where a batter will be hitting really, really well. And then all of a sudden it's like something gets in his head and he's striking out over and over. And he starts to question, like, can I even do this? I felt like I had the yips. I'm like, I've been, I've been firing <laughs> all cylinders. And now all of a sudden I'm, you know, am I capable of this? Am I worthy of this? Am I able to go to the next level? What is the next level? Same boat. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a beautiful thing when you hit that divergent moment and you choose the path that's going to be more resistance, but more fruitful over time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, unfortunately, choose the path that they're more familiar with, even though it's a familiarity of pain but because they know it they choose that versus a pain that might get them where they want to go but it's unknown. So I think mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing that you chose it and stayed the course even though it wasn't a quick thing. This wasn't like a, oh I got to work through this and by next week I'll be back on track hitting, you know, all my goals and finding success again. And what a gift you gave yourself that you built a business that allowed you to take a sabbatical. Like how many people get to do that when they're not a working for a university that gives them a sabbatical to go research or something like this, that's not the norm. And that's amazing that you built something that supported that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I worked really hard to have that freedom lifestyle business and I truly appreciated it when one, my dad got sick and I just took a a bunch of time off to be with him and family and then two, rolled into this sort of business sabbatical and was still receiving income thanks to those multiple revenue streams and just dropping Mm -hmm. the ones that were more active. So yeah, that's another great reason for the listeners (laughs) to go, oh yeah, if I just wanted to take a year off or half a year off or even three months off, it surprises me how many people can't do that or if they really tried, that's when I think you get very creative about your business and you're like, oh, if I did want to do this, what needs to be true and what needs to be happening? It's actually mm-hmm. um sometimes just if you book it, it's amazing what you can make happen <laughs> to prepare definitely. yourself for that. Yeah,
0: definitely. So I always like to ask like along the journey, have there been any resources that come to mind? Like, oh, I read this book and it changed everything for me, or I attended this conference or I saw this person speak, like anything that stands out that really was pivotal in your growth over these seasons of business and and life
1: growth? I really love that question, actually. Um, for sure, one of the books that I'm sure people quote here all the time is, I mean, Think and Grow Rich. I would love to be able to write a book that's been that popular and stands mm. the test of time since like 1930, because it, it, at the underlying heart of it, if you read through it and you really take it in, it's it's quite simple. It's like showing up, doing the work, being self-disciplined, having a massive vision for where you want to be heading. And then every single day, being in that vision and reminding yourself of what it is that you're doing and why. And I think that's had that big effect on me because even though I've revisited at times and at times I didn't even read the whole book, I just recently listened to the whole audio book and it's just The principles stand the test of time and they don't just apply to business, they apply to life, relationships, you. So that's had a pretty profound effect on me. I don't love that it's a little bit male-dominated from back when it was written, but if you put that aside, the lessons are still good. And I know that people have rewritten it with a lot more female-centric examples, which is good, or more modern day ones. Another one that I think was really excellent is The E-Myth by um, Michael Gerber, just because it really made me appreciate back at the start of my business that I was kind of stuck as this self-employed person. That, and that's when I really sort of went, oh crap, if I'm not here, this thing falls over. And he makes it really, really clear in that about getting systems and leveraging other people and having a team and all those things. And I think it just opened my eyes right at the time when I needed it, when I needed to advance and scale up, it was perfect timing for me. And I think it'd be really good for a lot of your listeners as well. Have you read that one? I have. I've read both. Yeah. I've read the... Yeah. um
0: we can grow rich many times and yep. I did read e and I was awesome. And I stand by both of those two different worlds and two different types of books, but both really powerful
1: for people in our space. Yeah. And my third one, I think, just for now, that has very much impacted me, I haven't done a good job of implementing it yet enough, is Deep Work by Cal Newport. In fact, I pretty much love anything Cal Newport puts out, but it made me appreciate that I was far too distracted by the day-to-day everything, the online attention, the information overload, and that I had kind of forgotten how to do the deep work, which I think when you're writing a book um, or you're creating a product or a a program or working on something, that's when you're really in the trenches doing the deep work. And I love it. I love getting flow and losing track of time. And he kind of brings that back to you of how you can do that, even if you just have a couple of hours a day. And I've started implementing it more. And when I do, it's just the effects are amazing. It's just that mm. we get so distracted and pulled in so many different ways. We have actually lost the ability to focus and and really get into our thoughts and understand the topics and what we're teaching and what we're doing and what we're showing up with in life in a better way. Mm, Yes.
0: Well, thank you for sharing those. I always love giving people some insight on some resources they can pull from that have impacted some of our amazing speakers on the show. So where can people come find you?
1: I just realized I didn't talk about any great events, but I'm happy to drop those later. I would love for people to um, come find me at Um, I'm at Natalie Sisson all over social media, but I've also put together um, a sweet little gift for your lovely listeners, which is all about how do you get paid to be you and find that sweet spot that we're talking about. So if they want that free guide and audio, they can head to nataliesison.com forward slash scaling up.
0: I will drop that in the show notes for them because I know that they will want to get their hands on it. So thank you so much for putting that together for us. And you were just a treasure. This was like <laughs> the most fun I've had on a podcast interview. I just so loved your energy and the wisdom that you brought to our listeners and to me. I wrote down a few notes as you were talking and uh, this was just such a joy. So thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you for being out with us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. It's been really, really fun.